Jesus went across to Mount Olives. But he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. And they kept at him, badgering him. And he straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first, throw the stone. And bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I've asked the uh, ushers if they would come and, and distribute. We're going to give out some gifts today. So if they would come at this point and um, pass these gifts out to you. In the past, we've done lots of things like we've given like uh, booklets that we've given out or we've given out some candies and chocolates. That always is a big hit. And uh, we, we actually gave out some green bracelets at another. Go ahead and pass those on. And we gave out green bracelets. Um, some of you might still be wearing these in the Joy Series. Well, our... Um, our prop budget's a little short, and so in cash. So we're giving out stones today. That's your gift. Seriously, I, I want you to take that stone, and I would love for you to hold it even as I speak today. I'd even request that you would carry that stone with you throughout the week. Because my prayer is always that as we hear God's word, it moves deep within us to the inside and changes us from the inside out. And so my hope and my prayer would be that this little stone that you have would be something that would be carried with you. And as you reflect on what is said, I pray by the Spirit of God into your heart, it will bring about some thoughts that might generate some deep change within you. I am, um, when I was thinking of this message, and in fact, one of the little kids this morning in the before the first service, saw some people walking around with a stone like that. And he, he saw my stone. He said, wow, that, that could hurt somebody. And I said, yeah, that's the, that's the whole intent of this stone. Because that's what this message was, is about. And I was thinking about it. If I'm going to grab a stone, you know, I don't really want one of those round ones. I was thinking I want one of these jagged edge ones. You know, if you're going to really condemn someone, really judge them, and you really have hatred, and you really want to, to cause them pain, you know, it might go all the way, Right? And uh, I thought about that in my own heart, and maybe you've thought about that in your own heart as well. That when you see something that you don't like, and you just you, you want to come after and you want to condemn, and, and you got the stone, it's meant to hurt. Let me share with you the story again 
and just kind of comment on it. And then as I come to the end, I'll just kind of have three points that I'd love to have you think through as we get to the end of the story. But Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives was a special place for Jesus. He would go there, and often you even hear that he would go to the, you know, before even his death, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was near the Mount of Olives, and he would spend time there and pray. It was one of his places that he liked to get alone and to get away and to be with his Father in heaven. And so I'm sure he went there. I'm guessing it was early in the morning, and he went there and he prayed and was preparing his heart, saying, God, as I prepare my heart and, and what's going on, and help me to be able to speak as clearly as I can the truth of your word, and do so with grace and mercy, and yet also be very, very clear on, on, on who you are. And I'm sure he prayed that, and then it says that he went to the temple, and he went to the temple, and he went there to, in order to teach people. I believe he went to the temple. The temple was a place where rabbis would go, and they would kind of um, spout off their truth. And, and the rabbis were people who were teachers who had followers, and they would have special followers, and then there would be a group that would follow with them, and, and they would attract crowds. And Jesus was no different, but he was different in this way, that when he would speak, people listened. I mean, there's a crowd that would gather around him. And so I'm guessing as he began to speak, people began to crowd around him. And there was probably a big crowd in the temple area. And then as he's speaking and he's sharing, the, he sees this commotion on the outer fringes of the crowd. And in, in the sea of people, he begins to see it kind of spreading a bit. And as it's spreading, he sees probably about seven, eight, maybe 20, kind of a mob of angry religious leaders. Those who were in authority Kind of like the elders of our church, or, or if you want to, you know, kind of the deacons, the, the ones in charge, the spiritual ones. And as they're, they're coming towards him, the, the crowd is parting. And you have to get a picture of these religious leaders. They were the Pharisees, according to the Word of God, the teachers of the law. And they were the ones who faithfully, and so I want to say this, they, they were the ones, at least, who were seeking to hold up the form of the law within the community. They were the religious cops of the day. They were really into what I call sin management. They were into behavior modification. They were very concerned that you looked right and you did the right things. And, and everything was about appearance. It was about what was on the external side of things. Deep change wasn't necessarily what they were concerned about in some sense as much as they were concerned about it was looking good. In fact, Jesus at one point said something that was rather offensive to him as he looked at them and he said, you're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. That's not a very good thing to say to someone. I wouldn't be real thrilled if you said to me, you're just about, you're just, that may, basically means you look really nice on the outside, but inside you're like a tomb. You're just filled with the stench and decay. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your intentions, your motivations, all those things. They may look good on the outside, but it's filled with selfishness and arrogance. And so he says this to them, and, and, and they come walking in, and they were the ones who looked good. They, they wouldn't murder, but they hated. They didn't steal money. They took great pride in the fact they didn't do that, but they were greedy. They'd never be caught red-handed committing adultery, but heaven knows how many affairs had taken place in the lust of their hearts. 
They were the ones who were in control. They were the ones who kept things in line. They were the ones who managed things. And Jesus comes along and Jesus starts speaking about a message, a message that fulfills the law because what it does, it brings the love of God into the very depths of a person's heart. And when that begins to happen in the depths of a being, a person begins to change. And Jesus began to come around those people who didn't look good, the lepers who were considered by, by those to be stricken by God and, 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 and not in his favor. He, he came around tax collectors, those who seemed to be the ones betraying their religious group and their, their culture. And he came around those who were sinners, it says, adulterers, and, and, and those who were living a lifestyle that just was a mess. And he was a friend to them. And he was beginning to attract a crowd of people around him. Even some of his, their own people were beginning to be attracted to the teaching of Jesus. And so you see this picture as they push their way through. And as they push their way through, they're angry faced. They're, they're deeply disturbed. And they're dragging with them this scantily clad woman who is having a hard time as she's being dragged along, keeping her balance. But they bring her right before Jesus and stand her up there in front of him. Moments before, she had been in bed with a man who was not her husband. We don't know whether this was the way she made a living. Maybe, maybe not. But we do know this. That a door was jerked open. And she was yanked from a bed. And with holy strides, the mob, the spiritual elite, brings this woman right before Jesus. And the leader, with indignation, says, We found this woman in bed with a man. Now imagine this. Stand with this woman. Put yourself in her place. She is standing here before this kind of angry, disgusted mob. And before her also are a bunch of gawking people, a crowd of people looking at her who has been caught red-handed doing something that was completely looked down upon. I mean, she stands, for a second, just if you can't get into her skin, she is filled with shame. Maybe this is the way I can help you do it. Think about the most shameful thing you have ever done. And you maybe even have not shared this with anything, with anybody. Think about the most shameful thing you've done. Maybe it's a sin you committed. Maybe it's just something that you just go, oh, you want to just hide. Even my talking about it makes you want to run from it. Now, what I would like you to do is turn to the person next to you and share that with them. (laughs) Ha, 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 you all laugh. Imagine standing there so all can see it. That's where she's standing. Filled with shame. Knowing she's dead wrong. With all kinds of eyes just looking at her in condemnation. Now, John um, tells us they forced her to stand before the people. And the leader then, as she's standing there, continues and says, The law says, Jesus, to stone her. What do you say? It's kind of interesting. The gospel writer parenthetically adds here, They were trying to trick or to trap Jesus so that they could have a charge against him. They were just using, think about it, they were using her sin and her shame in order to trap him. They looked really good even bringing her in. How disgusting! But their hearts, and Jesus saw that. It's all for a trick, all for a trap. What would Jesus do? 
We read in John chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, here's the the nature of Jesus. Jesus, it says, was full of grace and truth. And from him, we have all received one gift after another. This God shows up, and this God shows up generously handing out gifts of grace to people who are filled with shame and sin and understand their condemnation. And it goes on and it says in John, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only son, Jesus, is very close to the Father, very intimate. In fact, it says, and he has shown us what God is like. So watch Jesus now. You're going to get a picture of God. You see, the leaders love the law. The law was a good thing. In fact, we think about the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments, we think we're supposed to do those things so we can somehow by doing them be saved. Somehow, if we just measure up, we just do enough good things, somehow we'll make it. And that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was basically given for two things. One, to show us and to make us conscious of our own sin, to make us aware of our shame so that we would understand that what we have done and what we have broken is, is a great offense to God. And it really hurts other people and it really destroys our life, what God really wants for us. He wants us to understand that his will was given in the law. The ten laws, folks, are basically ten instructions for how you can have good community. There's just the bottom line. They're not, I mean, they're not, they're just kind of like basic things like don't steal, don't cheat on another person's wife, don't envy what that person, I mean, think about it. They're just the bottom, you know, Jesus, God puts them at the bottom level. So here's the law. These guys are in love with the law and they love the law so much so that they use the law to make themselves look good so they can drag this person in, even though their motives are stenched like a whitewashed tombs. And so you watch Jesus now because you're going to picture God. What would Jesus do? The leaders are thinking anyone who's really close to God, who really knows the Father in heaven, who really claims to be one who speaks for God, would love the law and will uphold it. This supposed friend of sinners, how is he going to respond to this? Now, the law is quite clear on this. Adultery is a sin. She had cruelly broken the law. Jesus is not in any way saying this, you know, he's not light on sin. He's not saying it's not a big deal. And, and also, mere compromising circumstances weren't enough. So when you look at what these, these Pharisees and teachers of the law were doing, they were doing what the law said. The law said you always need two witnesses. Hearsay wasn't, hearsay wasn't sufficient grounds to accuse someone. You actually had to catch them, according to the law, in the act with two witnesses, and that's what happens. So they're following the law. Verse 4 says the woman was caught having sexual relations with a man who is not her husband. In adultery, it's just not a misdemeanor. It's a felony punishable by death. I mean, anybody who's been betrayed by someone who's been, who's, who promises you loyalty and you know the heartache of being betrayed understands how painful that is. I mean, it's a big deal. If you've been in a marriage situation, we have a counseling center and we meet with people who have experienced incredible shock and pain. I mean, it's so painful sometimes when a person even hears about that their spouse has done it, they begin to actually, some people actually begin to throw up. It's so wrenching to their gut. This is a big deal and Jesus is in any way saying it's not. 
But lastly, I think this is interesting. Here these guys, they bring this woman before Jesus. It reminds me so often as you round up the prostitutes, but you don't want to get the men, the respectable ones who could be holding jobs. You know what I mean? You know what I mean. Where's the other person? It doesn't take just one to tangle. Leviticus 20 Verse 10 is clear on this. It says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. They're both supposed to show up. So there is no doubt this is a trap. They're using all this. So what is Jesus going to do? How do you get out of this trap? Uphold the law or break the law? How do you fulfill the law? As Jesus said, that he came full of grace and truth. How do you fulfill it with love? And we read Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. And you kind of wonder, as Jesus bends down, he's, he's writing in, in the sand. You wonder, what is he writing? And in that midst of his writing, it's just it's silent. Until there's some voices again. But what's interesting is it's, it says in John, it says he started to write on the ground with his finger, which is an illusion. Back to Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. See, Jesus knew as he was doing this, he's talking about some religious elite. These were well-trained scholars. They understood the Torah. They knew the five books of the laws of Moses. They would know that when they saw Jesus starting to write with his finger, it would call back in their mind something. It says in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And John doesn't just say Jesus began writing. He makes that very clear. He begins writing by the, with the finger of God. And we don't know what he's writing. He could have been writing the Ten Commandments. I think maybe a little too long. He probably didn't write all that out. I think maybe he would have been just as simple as starting to write things like pride. And thought, you know, hate, greed, envy. Lust, and as he's writing these things, I'm sure some of them can see, some can't. But I also find interesting is that John doesn't purposely tell us what he's writing, I think, because he would love for you and for me to look into our own hearts right at this moment and say what could be written down there that's true in my heart. I think throughout this whole story, John wants you to enter into it. And I invite you to enter into it. So Jesus is writing these things out, and as Jesus writes, we, we read that they kept on questioning. They were badgering him because they, they could smell blood. He's quiet. He's not saying anything. He's trying to figure a way out of this thing. And at a certain point, Jesus straightens up. And with the list of sins just numbered there, I think he probably looked in the eyes of some of the different people who had these sins because he knew in their hearts, he could see into their hearts, God, by the whole Spirit of God, giving Jesus insight. And he looks into their eyes and he says, okay, any one of you, any one of you who has never sinned, be my guest. Start hurling stones. Take take your stone. You got a stone here? Anybody here? Anybody in in this crowd here? Without any sin, go ahead and start throwing it. And we read that Jesus then began writing again. And I wonder if at this time he didn't just clear it all, which is kind of interesting because he wrote with the finger of God on the sand, and this time he writes again on the sand. He writes words like this. I'm guessing he wrote something like forgive, mercy, grace, 
It could have been he started writing maybe even a verse such as Psalm 130, which begins, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin. And they would be able to finish it with their own thoughts. Who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness. It may have been that he wrote something from Psalm 51, which is the great cry of the heart of David, who at a certain point, who had committed adultery and had done wrong, stood under the condemnation of his own sin, came before God in that, and he said, Oh God, have mercy on me. Could have said, wrote, Have mercy on me, O God. And they even know how to finish it according to your unfailing love and could go and finish the whole thing. And they're looking at this. And as Jesus wrote and continued to write with his back down there, you hear a stone drop. And then you hear another one drop. And I'm sure the lady is standing there with her head just down in shame. Doesn't want to look at anyone. Doesn't want to. But she hears these stones begin to drop around her. And it says that they dropped one after another. The oldest one first until all the stones had been dropped. And we read at, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus is still on the ground. And here's what I love about Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to take home. Jesus is for you. In your sin and in your shame, in your worst moment and in your worst place, Jesus is for you. Jesus was for this woman. I'd love for you to walk out of this, this, this morning and, and have three things in your head. Jesus is for me, Jesus is with me, and Jesus is in me. Because that's what we're going to talk about in these next few minutes. Jesus is for you, He is with you, and He is in you. Because He's doing a work in you. He is making you like His Son. He wants you to become in every way like Him. And one of the things you have to, to learn where the deepest change takes place in our heart is deep down in this area of our heart where He can only touch by His love is this whole idea of how much He is for you that He doesn't condemn you. And so here He is. He's on His knees. And instead of getting up and even being in an intimidating kind of position with her eye to eye, He stays on His knees. He looks up. It says, straightens up, looks at her. In this servant-like kind of humble way. And he says these words. He says, woman. And you kind of go, what does that mean? It's like, like woman, where are they? It, it could sound like a pejorative word, but it isn't at all. If you go to John chapter 2, verse 4, the same word, is the exact same word is used, and the NIV translates it this time, dear woman. When Jesus is changing water to wine, his mother comes to him, and he says to her with his term of endearment and respect, dear woman, to his mother. He looks up at this woman with incredible compassion. And he says, dear woman, where's your accusers? Isn't there anyone here to condemn you? And I just sit there and I, I, every time, every time I think of this part of this passage, when I dwell on it and meditate on it, it just moves me so deeply. Because kneeling before her is one person who could accuse her. There was one person kneeling there who could have grabbed the stone. There was one person who was never with any sin in his entire life. There was one person who could take the stone of condemnation and stand up and say, I'll be the first one because of what she's done. And he could have actually thrown it on her. But he didn't. Look at Jesus and you get a picture of God. I want you to know this. Jesus never excuses sin. 
He forgives it. And he does not hold condemnation over your heart. Jesus is for you. Listen, we hear John 3.16, the great football verse, right? We all know that verse. For God so loved the world, he what? He? Whosoever? Everlasting life. Now, if you haven't gone to church, excuse me for doing that. But if you have, or if you've watched enough football, but no one quotes 17. Listen to what 17 says. I love 17. Verse 17 is this incredible statement where it says, after he says this in 16, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. Apostle Paul, who stood and watched a person and, and, and actually commanded this person, Stephen's death, this holy person and other believers, at a certain point so convicted when God came to him, recognized his sin, and yet he stood also in this place where he understood that Jesus was for him, not to condemn him. He came into this world to save him. He was for him. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. God is for you. He doesn't hold your sin against you. If He kept a record of wrong, who among you and among us could stand? And so you're sitting with a stone in your hand. And I ask you to think about this for a second. How often do you condemn yourself daily? How hard are you on yourself? We're not talking about excusing sin. You know when you sin, you know what the Word of God says you're to do? You're to recognize it, understand its impact, you, you repent, you actually go to that person and make sure that you make amends, and then you live uncondemned, non-condemned, no longer condemned. That's maybe the way to say it. I'll quit making up words. Forgiven. Because Jesus not only forgives you, Jesus is for you. Now let me ask you this question. If Jesus is for you, which means that you're going to have to deal with your self-hatred and self-rejection. And some of you have experienced this in childhood. And, and I spoke with some people after the service today. They have, if you know what I mean, you, you live with condemnation. You've grown up in a home where you've experienced that. You never measured up. You are constantly told that you're not good enough. You're constantly living in shame. And there is a sense that there is a process of deep change that comes only when you feel the force of the love of God into your heart. Here's what I think is really interesting. The moment when Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. At, the moment, at that moment, she looked into his eyes and she heard these words and they, the force of those words penetrated to the deepest part of her being. She experienced his love being for her when she was standing there in her sin. And she knew it and she understood that God was for her. And this is what Jesus says to you today. If you find that, you need to begin to memorize some scripture. You need to start walking into the, the direction of this. You need people around you to help you move into this. Because it is a battle to move into a place where you understand and get a picture of God for who he is. Not that he excuses sin, but he forgives sins. And you walk in this forgiveness. And when you sin, you repent. And you go and you make amends. And you walk this life in right relationship with God and with other people. And you learn to live in this way. And I want to share with you, that brings about deep change. We're not talking about surface artificial change. People learn this kind of stuff in the church. They learn behavior. You come here, you look good, you look nice, you do what's right, you treat people Minnesota nice and kind. We're not about that. We're about deep change. We're about the love of God, the force of the Word of God that comes in and says to your heart, you're no longer condemned. You are not condemned. 
you're forgiven. Sin is serious. It has great consequences. It hurts people. It offends God. It, it destroys your life. But you are not condemned. You are now forgiven. Repent and live in it. And if Jesus is for you, and this I had a laugh at it because I thought, if God did not send His holy, righteous, sinless Son to condemn the world, who in the world am I to take a rock and point it at any other person? Are you holding rocks towards someone today? Are you for people? That person that you're just really, you just, you, they disgust you. You, you, you want to do everything. You, and you go, you know what? They deserve this. You know what really ticked Jesus off at that moment? Was here was a woman who was experienced shame, understood the condemnation, understood what was going on. And here were a bunch of, of people around her who had no sense of their own guilt. You want a picture of God? God will always stand and give love and pour out love on those who understand that they have sinned and they are in that place of shame and they're trying to figure a way to get out so they can be near God and see this God as He is. But He stands against people, so often religious people, who are so arrogant, who walk around with attitudes that are disgusting and other people see it and they have stones in their hands. It could be you and me. It is me. I do this. And I just ask you, you got the stones of the week. I'm going to ask you to, to consider laying it down and not throwing it at that one person. I start saying, God, how do I pray for this person? How do I ask your blessing into their life? Honestly, I believe, you think about it. There are, you know, the word of God says that God did not send a son of the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I believe there are people who believe that God has sent them into the world to condemn the world. Right? But we are here full of grace and truth. We fulfill the law deeply with love that is generated from our hearts. And the second thing I want you to remember is that, you know, I just hope this sinks deep in your heart. Jesus is with you. Almost want you to say, Jesus is with me. Say it with me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is for me. And Jesus is with me. Now, what's interesting about this is at any point, Jesus could have looked at her and go, oh, you disgust me, and could have walked away. He could have, when they brought her from the very beginning, started walking away saying, you know what? I know this is a trap. I don't want anything to do with it. He doesn't. He stays there. He's, he, he, he's on his knees, and he's listening to the Spirit of God, and he's understanding he's with her. He gets her. You ever, ever in life, that's what it means to be with someone in the sense you get them. Now, I have to, I have to confess, there's a lot of people I don't get. You know, there are times, very few, but there are some times when I don't get my wife. That's a, that's a joke. Um, there's a lot of times. Any men feel that way? Another few hands. Women, you should all raise your hands because you don't get him at all, right? This morning, first service, I was talking about, you know, there are times when you have these kids that are growing up and they are nine years of age, ten years of age, and they're just wonderful. You're this incredible parent. You've moved from a dictator to now you're just managing their, 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 their life in ways that they, and all of a sudden they hit 13. And it's at a point when this hormonal wash comes in their brain and they don't, they don't recognize consequences anymore and you kind of go, what am I raising here? And I don't get this until you think about when you were 13. There's people you might not get. You might not get your teacher. You might not get your boss. You might not get that employee. 
You might not get your mom and dad. But Jesus gets every one of us. He's not only for you, he's with you. And I would love for you to say throughout the week, Jesus is for me and Jesus is with me. He gets me right now. Even in my shame and my sin, even when you blow it. I, I had, when I was preparing this message over the last few weeks, there was a time when I just did something wrong and I knew it was wrong and I just had this voice just condemning me and just going after me. And, and, and I remember um, just, it was horrible. I, it's hard to, 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 to say this voice is wrong. What's really true in faith is to trust what Jesus has done and what he has said to be true. And I'm going to live in that. I'm going to walk in this. And then Jesus kind of just said to me, I'm with you. I get you. I understand even as you did that, I understand your heart and that your desire is to move into holiness. And guess what? I will also not be just for you and with you. I will be in you to overcome that which which holds you back so don't ever give up faith is about a journey it's about constantly pressing into god pressing in this god who sends his son jesus for you who sends his son who gets you he's with you and then he sends his son so that he can be in you that you can begin to walk in the presence of god you can begin to know him he can begin to reveal to you the the, the deep strategies of your life where you use these things that you learned when you're younger to get the things you think you need or maybe even began to choose as you got older a way of trying to get what is most essential to your being through your own self-action and God says it doesn't ever work you see this is the, the, the third thing I want to share with you Jesus is in you not only does Jesus hear with this woman and he understands her, he never leaves her, he doesn't um, walk away from her in her shame, even though she wants to hide, which is one of the most amazing things. I'll just little footnote here. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what you normally do when you sin and you feel shame, you want to run, you want to turn, you want to hide. That's just, you take leaves, you want to hide. And God is so wonderful, he is not only for you, he's with you. He comes into the garden, he starts calling, Adam and Eve, where are you? Like God doesn't know. Right? You know what he's doing? He's calling them out of their shame. He wants them to kind of admit that sense and come out and expose it. He wants them to run to Him, not hide with leaves. He's going to cover them with something far greater. So whenever you experience shame, I want to share with you, believe Jesus is for you, know that He gets you, He's with you, and turn and run to Him. Because He's the only one who can heal you. And He is in you. Here's, the, here's, here's this thing I love about this passage of Scripture. And I hope it changes your idea of sin a little bit. The last thing Jesus says to her is, go now and leave your life of sin. I used to hear that, and when I would hear that, I'd go, okay, that's really, God just doesn't like sin, and so I'm going to quit sinning, I'm going to really try hard not to sin, I'm just going to, when I, I the woman left here, and she's going, okay, i got to just white-knuckle it into holiness, i got to be like the Pharisees. He's not saying that at all. He is saying this to her. He says to her this, catch this. Now that you've experienced the force of my love deep within your being, you've found, in a sense, you've, my arms have surrounded you, you've experienced the satisfaction of your soul through my grace and my love. Don't try and find it through the strategy of finding it in another man's arms. It'll never satisfy. Once you have experienced the love of God reach deep within and around you and so satisfy your being, 
Why in the world would you find any other selfish strategy to try and get that met in your life? Whatever it is, whether it's to manipulate, to control so you can be in charge of, of the person in the relationship, it's all about power struggle, or whether it's about gossip so you can feel intimate because you shared something that was really dear and that makes you closer, whether it is about somehow getting status so that you can feel more powerful. If you, if you think that if you could just get enough money, then you'd feel secure. They're all temporary. They're all strategies. They're not bad, but they're bad when they become your life goal. When you seek that as the thing that's going to satisfy your soul. And so I got this new picture of sin. Sin isn't just kind of try hard and white knuckle it out of it. It's basically you go, oh man, God, forgive me. I'm trying those strategies again that really end up being prisons because they don't lead me into relationship with you or with other people and they destroy my being. Does that make sense? Anybody with me? And so I just want to ask you to take your rocks. I threw mine, didn't I? Um, And I want you to think of two things this week. And I'm just so excited about this, you guys, because deep change is all about the love of Jesus. We're going to talk about stories and how Jesus changes you from the inside out. It's not about sin management. It's not about behavior control. It's about beginning to see the love of God come in and do those very things that you can't do by yourself. And I want you to take this rock and I want you to ask yourself as you go through the week, am I using it today? Am I using it to throw it at myself? Am I letting those voices condemn me or am I going to live in the forgiveness of God? If you feel guilt, is it real guilt? And if it isn't, then just let it go. If it's shame, it's never to control you because you have been forgiven in Christ. The other thing I want you to do is you carry this rock this week. I want you to think about it. Oh, let's be honest with ourselves here. How many would like to throw it at someone? I really want you to think about this. Carry that rock with you this week, and when you're ready to do it, start thinking about your own life. Start thinking about the forgiveness you've received. Start thinking about the fact that you also, like them, are a sinner. And start saying, God, I'm going to put that down and I'm going to pray, I'm going to bless, I'm going to do love and do those things which are right.